Over the past few weeks, I have been talking uh, about the word may, M-A-Y, may. And um, I want to just visit that again as I start because I, I feel that you ever notice, like when you buy a new car, until you bought that car, you didn't ever see that car. Are you with me? You know, but once you buy a car or you start looking at a particular type of car, when you go down the road, you can't go, if it's just to your house, to the corner market that's a mile away, you can't hardly go without seeing that car. And then everywhere you turn, there's that car. But is it all of a sudden that they just manufactured all those cars? No, that's not it at all. What happened, what happened was that you just became aware that that car was there. And you know, the same is true with us, with the presence of the Lord and what the Lord wants to do in our lives. He, some, many times, it was so cool in one of those Friday night meetings that we have and Love Says Go, one of the things he said is, we don't need more of the presence of God. We need more awareness of the presence of God. I think that's so true. We just need more awareness. We need to be more aware of who he is first. We need to know who he is. If you don't know who he is, you won't know when he's there. And we, I believe, even in the charismatic church, we've put him in a box. It's that this is what he looks like. Even, uh, you know, for Ben to say, man, I, I've got lungs, we go, well, nobody really raised their hand at first, so maybe it wasn't anything. And we put him in a box that this is what it's going to look like. And God said, no, I can do so. I, was, I looked at my, my wife, Tina. Y'all know her? <laughs> Sorry. Speaking like I'm somewhere else, I guess. I looked at Tina, and I said, my mom, my mom, sometimes... Y'all ever see the movie Toy Story? What's the little thing that swallowed his whistle and he wheezed? Sometimes, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Which one was it, Brianna? Wheezy. The, Wheezy the penguin. But he would talk and he would wheeze. You know, Mama wheezes sometimes. So I, was, I looked at Tina I said, that's mom. Then mom stood up. Praise Jesus. But even beyond that, is that we have the ability, this innate ability, to... Al- I want to see, how do I want to say this? To make God look a whole lot like us. We make him look a whole lot like us instead of trying to see what he really looks like. And as I was, uh, this word that keeps highlighting to me every time now I read the word, and I don't care where it is. uh, I've been in John, I've been from John chapter 1 to John chapter 20, uh, just in my time with the Lord, I haven't read all those consecutively through, but I've been spending time in those. I've been in Ephesians, from Ephesians 1 to Ephesians 4, just spending time. And the thing, this word just keeps popping up, and I've shared about it for a few weeks now, and I, and I hadn't intended on sharing about it this morning, and, this, and uh, just really feel led of the Lord to do so. But the word is may, M-A-Y. You know, I've shared my illustration about that in, high, in elementary school. But the, I want to read the definition again. May, it means expressing possibility, expressing permission, or expressing hope. Wow. Expressing possibility, expressing permission, expressing hope. John 10.10, familiar passage of Scripture when Stephen preached a few months ago. This was the text that he based his message, one of the main texts that he based his message on, John 10.10. The thief comes what? Not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus speaking, I have come that you what? That you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So what it's saying is, it's expressing possibility. Jesus was saying, because I'm here, and because of what I'm, going, what I'm accomplishing and will accomplish, there's a possibility for you to have life like I have it, and to have it in abundance. Because the word life there is the word zoe, Z-O-E in the Greek, and it means, it literally means life as God has it. 
<laughs> he said, I, he said, the thief comes for, for this reason, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So he said, this is eternal life. Eternal life is not we get to go to heaven together. Eternal life is not even I get to escape hell. Eternal life is life as God has it. Zoe life. Life like God has it. And he said, that's my desire for you in every aspect. So immediately, if we're not careful, we'll put that in a box and say, well, to me, this is exactly what that looks like. And it will just set all our attention on this one thing. And we miss the Zoe, the life like God has it in every other area of our lives. I'm about focus. I'm about vision, uh, being clear. I understand all that. But we can be so uh, tunnel, have so much tunnel vision that we can miss life going on around us because we're looking for just one aspect of it. And he said, there's a possibility before you. That it's, it's a promise, but the possibility is on our part, not on his. And it has nothing to do with performance. It has everything to do with receiving by believing. Are you with me? So as I was pondering all these things, I, uh, I don't even remember, <laughs> I don't even remember how I got to John chapter 20, but I was pondering all this about the may, about what God's saying may be available, which is possible for us as believers. And I honestly believe me, Todd Martin, I'm living just a fraction of what he desires for me to walk in. Just being honest. Uh, you know, I can parallel to the, um, the passage that our, script, that our church is based on is out of Ezekiel 47, the river coming out of the house of God. And he said that, you know, it was uh, ankle, then it was knee, then it was waist, then it was so that I couldn't swim. I, there are times I feel like I'm in over my head, and there are other times I feel like I've gotten back out to it's just ankle deep. Anybody ever been there? And I've noticed the common denominator in that is not the condition of my spirit, but of my mind. And how I perceive him in my life at that moment. My perception of who he is to me at that moment determines how I allow his life to flow through me. It doesn't regulate how much life is in me. It regulates how much life comes out of me. Does that make sense? And that to me is just amazing that he loves us that much, and he gives us that, that right. But in John chapter 20, uh, John chapter 20, verse 19 through 31, says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. He had, the, he had this, I'm sorry, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. How many of you can say amen right there? You're in a room. The door's shut. Jesus shows up in the room, and he shows you his hands and his side, and you, and you would be excited that it was Jesus, Right? that it wasn't anyone else or anything else, that it was Jesus. You'd be happy. You'd be glad. You might, even if you're not a charismatic personality, you might have got a little jig going on right then. So verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. We'll come back. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. <laughs> How many of you know, I, well, let me say it this way, I believe 
that they wouldn't have just been like, hey, Thomas, guess what? We saw Jesus. I just tend to believe that if they, when they saw Jesus and Thomas came, they was like, dude, Jesus was here. We saw Jesus. The door was shut. He showed up in the middle of the room. Jesus was here. And Thomas said, so he said to them, unless I see, his hand, see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the door being shut. See a theme here? And stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side, into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He was sharp, wasn't he? My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. There's a possibility here in the scripture that he says, I've put before you, but it's up to you. You may believe. And the word belief there is the same word for faith. It's the same Greek word where it says believe is the same Greek word where other places where it says faith. When Jesus said uh, have faith in God. You with me? Same word. So as I was looking at this and the, the script, and I want you to understand, first and foremost, I want you to understand. I didn't get my concordance. I did a few weeks ago, but this week, I didn't get my concordance together again and just say, Lord, show me all the places where it says may. You know, you can do that, right? You can look in a concordance and you can find a word and you can see everywhere that word is used in the, in the Old or New Testament. I didn't do that. I was just pressing into him and his understanding that he had for me. And as I was doing that, these things began to just highlight and pop up. But first, I want us to go back to John chapter, uh, verse 19. Because as I was looking at this, the Lord began to show me things I'd never seen before to me. And the first one is in this first verse right here in verse 19. He said, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the, door, the doors were shut, the doors were shut. Why were the doors shut? Well, it says for fear of the Jews. But the Lord showed me. He said so many times when fear comes in, fear of something we don't understand, fear of something we haven't seen, fear of something we have seen, we'll shut the door. We shut the door. We wall ourselves in. When we... When expectation isn't met, we'll shut the door. And it said that the doors were shut. So they had shut themselves in and everyone else out. You've never been there, right? There's an area of, of uh, let's just say disappointment. We didn't see what we wanted to see. So what's easy to do in that area is to shut that door and say, you know what? I'll just, I won't use faith in that area anymore. I'll just shut the door where I don't have to deal with it. Well, don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. I'm telling you, I've, I've lived this out practically. I'm still living this out practically, but I've lived this out practically. And one of the ways the Lord has used that, as I've said so many times, is in the fire department because there are things that we're faced with in training and situations and stuff like that that you just go, man, I, couldn't, I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, this week, it was so cool. I get to do this, man. This week we had a call. I was, it was actually Friday morning. I had Lexi in the car with me because I was taking her to the spa. That's the groomer. 
But to her, it's the spa. We take her to the spa. She has a spa date. And uh, she gets all fluffed and pretty. Well, really, she gets defluffed. She's fluffy enough. But she gets defluffed. And I was taking her, and we had a call come in. And I was on, I'm on call this week with the department. We had a call come in. It was a wreck. So uh, I go up to the wreck, and there's this car upside down in the intersection. So uh, I go up, and they go, man, we got to find a way to cut the battery cable because the car's upside down. It's off, but it's the, you can hear the electrical system still clicking and stuff in there. Well, that's no bueno because there could be a leak, and it can hit the electrical, and then you got a fire. The, the driver was out, so that was good. But the car was upside down. They're like, we got to get the car. We got to cut. So I went and put my gear on because I have cutters in my gear. And I'm thinking, we'll cut the battery. And I came back up and I'm like, yeah, there's a problem because the bottom's the top and the top's the bottom. And the bottom is where the battery is right now. <laughs> it's normally on the top and now it's on the bottom. And one of the guys said, man, if we could get to the, to the ignition, we could just cut it off. So I said, I can do that. So I just lay down on the ground in my gear on the glass and shimmy in the window it's about two-thirds open, and I'm upside down in the car. You know, cars look different upside down. If you don't believe me, just go in your car this afternoon, stick your head in the window, and look upside down. Everything looks totally different upside down. Anyway, I crawl in, and I'm, trying, I'm disoriented to start with, but I'm in. I've got to put the car in gear cause, out of gear because it's still in drive, and I've got to cut it off, and I've got to get my bearings and find out where I am in the car. And I know it sounds that's stupid. You're in the window. It's totally different. And uh, so I reach up, put it in gear, cut it off, and come out. Well, in the past, there was nothing in me in my life that ever wanted to crawl in a car that was upside down, ticking. But through saying, God, you're bigger than this, it wasn't, I didn't even have a moment of crisis when that happened. Are you tracking with me? I saw what needed to be done, and I did it. But you know why I did it? Because I had renewed my mind to the fact that just because I stick my head in a car that's upside down that looks like a confined space, it doesn't mean it's going to close on me. I had renewed my mind to that through the process of training. I didn't just go, well, here's a mindset that I have. If I get in a small space, I'm going to die. Y'all don't know anything about that, right? Mama shout hallelujah with hands and feet in the air. But through the process of renewing my mind, through training my mind, I said, I can operate in this, in this place. And I was able to do that. There's so many things that we've had to confront there at the fire department in the natural that God has used to show me in the spiritual where there have been doors that I've shut out of fear. And I want you to understand, that's the first thing that fear will do is it'll cause you to shut doors. And in the shutting of those doors, you shut people out that you need. Many times it's the people you need the most, and that's why you shut the door, because you can't take it, because you know that you need them, but you don't want to hear what they have to say. <laughs> they shut the doors. That, to me, I couldn't hardly get past that. But you know what was so amazing about that? Even with the doors shut, Jesus showed up in their midst. <laughs> You know, that's so sweet to me that even when there's those times that I limit him, that I shut the door, that I box him in, he still can come. He'll not force his, his way on you, but he'll still come. He'll reach. He'll knock. He said, what? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens up, I will come in and sup with them. He's still there, as Revelation says. He's at that door. He's knocking. But what's so amazing is that Jesus is the same Yesterday, today, and forever, he can show up in the midst. And I'm going to tell you, he's done that for me. There have been times that, and you know what's so awesome about it? There are times that we shut doors that we don't even know we've shut. And he shows up in the midst, and he says, what was the first thing he said to them? Why are you a bunch of cowards in here with the door shut? Where's all your faith and power? Remember, I anointed you, and you went out, and you raised the dead, cast out devils. You did all of that stuff. Why are you hidden in this room? Is that what he said? And he said, peace. Huh? That's so sweet. He said, peace to you. Jesus came. The door was shut. Jesus came in the midst of that. The first thing that he said to them was, peace be with you. Then you know what he did? He began to reveal himself to them. Come on. That's what's so sweet. When, when we have the door shut and he shows up and we acknowledge that it's him, 
You know why he's there? To reveal himself. He wants you to see him so you won't feel scared and have to hide in behind that door anymore. He revealed his hands to them. He revealed his side to them. And the first thing he spoke was peace. Then after he revealed himself to them, what did he say to them again? This is just, you may say, well, this is elementary. We could have read this at home. I, I, I agree. But what I want you to do is get it. I don't want you to get it with your head. I want you to get it with your heart. He said, he came, the door was shut. They had everyone shut out and themselves shut in. And he came in. And when he came in, he said, peace to you. Then he begins to reveal who he is to them. And after he revealed himself to them, he said to them again, peace to you. Is that important? I think it's very important because when we find ourselves shut in that place, you know what? One of the number one things the enemy will bring in is condemnation. Oh, who are you? You're supposed to be that man of faith and power, that woman who believes God for the unbelievable. That's who you are. And look at you shut up in this room. And then when Jesus reveals himself and says, I'm the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave, you know what? The enemy will come back in. Yeah, and he's, he's the one who's supposed to be giving you power. And look at you. He wants to rob you of your peace. He wants to rob you of that confident expectation of good. And he'll do it through condemnation. He'll get you. That's why Romans 8, 1, he said, There's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Because if he can get you in condemnation, he'll keep you with the door shut. I don't care how many times Jesus comes to you. If you don't receive peace that he has for you, when the enemy comes, he'll come in with condemnation. Well, you should have known better. You should have done better. You should have been this because you know this. I'm telling you from experience, I've been there. And you know when it was some of the most startling reality to me? is I've gone back through, most of you probably know, some maybe haven't noticed, I haven't written emails in a while. Yeah, I used to write them every week. And then I went to every other week, then I just quit. For those who noticed. <laughs> I, I, I stopped writing them. It wasn't for any reason other than I got busy, and then I got to where I really what I did is I started looking. I can tell who opens them and who doesn't. Not personally, which person does, but I can tell percentage-wise how many people open and how many don't. I'm thinking, I'm sending this out every, every other week to 130 people, and 12 are opening it. And uh, I just, I quit writing, uh, not because I, I felt condemned or anything like that. I just quit writing. But what I noticed when I went back and started reading some of the emails I've already written is some of the revelation that God's given me in the six years that we've been here. Ah, this is hard. That I can say that I still struggle walking in? I mean, I wrote it. And I would go back and I would read it and I would go, dang, that's awesome. That's just heavy revy right there, man. That's amazing. And the enemy goes, yeah, and look at the other day when this happened and you was just totally defeated and condemned. And look at the other day, you wrote something about that too. Look at you there. Oh, man, a faith and power. And I would, and what should have been a blessing of how God had revealed himself to me became something that brought condemnation to me. And you know what I needed at that point? It's what Jesus did here when it says he did it again. He said, peace, peace to you. Because see, what he's more concerned about than anything is relationship with me, not my performance. That's fruit that comes out of a life that's intimate relationship with him, that's connected but it was real easy to look at those emails and go, man, I can't believe. And I really would go back and I would read them and study them because I wanted to make sure I didn't steal it from somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, what is it? Poetic license. We call it Christian stealing. <laughs> you know, somebody else writes something, you just rewrite it and reword it a little bit and make it sound good and you don't have to quote them in it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. I try not to do that, but there are times I've done that, just being honest. You know, you see something that's really good, and you go, man, I meditate on that a little bit, and I make it my own, and then I just share it the way I want to share it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I wanted to make sure, man, this is stuff God was speaking to my heart. And I went back and looked at some of these things, and I was just like, wow, Lord, 
That's powerful. And you know what would have been real easy? It would have been real easy because that's what the enemy wanted to do. Yeah, you say that's true, but you don't see it. You say you believe that, but you haven't seen it. You know what was real easy? One, to get in condemnation, and two, to say, well, it must not be true, so I just need to change the way I believe. I need to change the way I believe to line up with my experience. And I'm just going to tell you, I refuse to do that. His word is true. He said, let God be true and every man a liar. He said to them again, peace to you. So I had to say to myself, I, I, won't, I refuse to be condemned. Here's the thing. We, Jesus was condemned for us. So the enemy can't condemn us. If we're condemned, we do it to ourselves. It's just like offense. If, if you're offended, I can't, I can give an offense, but you have to take it. Are you with me? I, I remember Joyce Myers did a teaching on offense, and she said the word offense is scandalon, and it literally means this. It's like the bait in a trapper's trap. So the offense is just the bait to get you trapped. The only way you can get trapped is if you do what? Take the bait. That's the only way. The enemy does not listen. Here's, my, here's what I'm trying to communicate. The enemy doesn't have the ability to get you offended. The, the enemy does not have the ability to condemn you because Jesus was condemned in your place. But if you take it, it's yours. Here, I started. I didn't, I'm not on a rabbit trail. I know where I'm at. We started. He said that you may have life as God has it. It's a possibility. There's permission been granted for you to live like God lives. I was, I'm telling you, when you understand this, it changes the way you look at Scripture. Because I began to look at the way Paul prayed, even in Ephesians, that we would come into the unity of the faith. He didn't pray like that with some popsicle dream in the sky. He was declaring that, that this is a reality, that there's coming a day that we'll lay down petty disagreements uh, and believe that Jesus is the one that he said he was, and we'll see what he said we will see. And we'll walk in unity of faith. Paul prayed that, not as a hope and a, and a wish and a prayer. He prayed that because he knew it was God's will for us. He prayed it with authority and certainty. Huh. That stirs me up, in case you didn't notice. He said, peace to you. Then he said this. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I remember Tish and I had this conversation one time before about this passage of Scripture. And what he's saying here is if we refuse to give grace, then what we're doing is we're refusing that person's opportunity to repent, to come to know the Jesus that we know. So in, in an essence, what we're doing is we're holding their sins against them. Because of something they did. Maybe their lifestyle offended you. And because it offended you or something they did offended you, you refused to share the love and grace of God with them. So you know what you're doing? You're holding their sins. Amen. That's what it is. Whatever that is. You know, Brianna said something yesterday, and I'll just be honest. I, I'm a little out of the loop on what's been going on in our country because I just haven't tuned into it a whole lot. But Brianna said somebody posted on their Facebook, my Facebook feed look, looks like the Confederate flag and Skittles had a fight, got in a fight. I said, I understand the Confederate flag thing, but what's the Skittles? She said the judgment that just came down, the rainbow. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it, I got it. And so what the enemy wants to do, all that is is distraction, people. All it is is distraction. These things have been going on all along. It's not anything new. It's been going on all along. That doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean it's justified. But what he wants to do is draw attention to it so that we can get even more separated, more segregated, and more angry than we've ever been. So we'll do what? So we'll shut the door. So that we'll shut the door. As my good friend Stephen says, you know what's the good news? Jesus is still on the phone. And we're still the light of the world. 
That's good news. That's very good news. You know what? That's the gospel, the nearly too good to be true news. That's what that is. But he said his, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins, they are retained. He said, I've given you authority, more authority than you recognize. And I'm just saying, how many people's sins are we retaining because our door's shut? That's not condemnation, okay? I'm not condemning. I just want us to locate. No condemnation. I just want us to locate where we are. And many times when we shut the door, you know why we're there? Because we're afraid and all our attention's on us. I'm sorry. I love you. There can be free hugs at the end of the service for everybody. Then we get to Thomas. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. Can you, have you ever put your place, yourself in Thomas's place? Maybe not, but we're going to. So the disciples, Thomas wasn't there, right? He was one of them, but he wasn't with them at this time. I don't know why. Uh, but he wasn't with them. So when the disciples and Thomas get together, how many of you know how that went down? I mean, if you were one that was in the room, and he wasn't, and then you come up to him, you're not going to be like, oh, man, sure we should have been there. It wasn't anything to it. Maybe it'll happen again. No. You're going to be like, dude, do you know what happened? We was in the room. The door was shut, and Jesus came in the room. He was there in the room. In the, in the room. We were there. We were just scared. We were scared. In the room, scared, door shut, and then bam, there's Jesus. He's right in the middle of the room with us. It wasn't just a, a, a vision. It, it, what, we, it, we didn't dream it up. Dude, he said, here's my hand. Look, here's my side. Look, Jesus was in the room, and he was in the room with us. I was there, and he was there. Jesus. Thomas. Yeah, whatever. Right. Y'all was just so scared. You were shut up in the room. I was out doing life. Y'all were scared. I don't believe it. But look what he said. Unless I see the hands, in his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He didn't say, I may not. He said, I refuse. As an act of my will, I will not believe. Until I see it, I will not believe. <clears throat> you know what? I believe the enemy still tells that lie to us all the time in our walk with the Lord. Oh, you really believe that? Then you ought to see it. So what that thing that comes in our head is, well, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Till I see it. I'll just change the way I believe. And that's what's happened throughout church history. What's happened throughout church history is we based theology on experience instead of experience on the, the Word of God. We, we've seen it throughout church history. When our experience doesn't line up with what we believe to be true, we change what we believe to be true. There's a guy called Thomas who was with, right? He was one of the 12. He was with Jesus when Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified, but I'll rise again the third day and I'll come to you, right? Did he have information to substantiate the truth that his disciple, the other disciples had just relayed to him? He had facts from the mouth of the Lord himself, which said, I will rise again the third day. He had all that information, right? Yes, he had that information. Did he choose to believe that information? No, he did not. He said, I wasn't there when you were there. I didn't experience what you experienced. Therefore, I won't believe it until I see it. Instead of saying, he said it. That's awesome that you guys encountered it. Right? It's awesome that you encountered it. I didn't. But because he said it, I believe it. 
And whether I encounter it like you did or not, I know it to be true. And I, my belief system is based on what I know to be true, not what I've experienced. Thomas didn't do that. That just amazed me. But it took me somewhere. Ephesians chapter 4. I want, I want to get to 17, but I can't do it without starting in 11. <laughs> is that all right? And he himself, speaking of the Lord, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. A perfect man. He said, all right, I've given you fivefold ministry gifts for a reason. Until we all come. He said, till. He didn't say it wouldn't happen. He said, until we do. Is there an expectation there? Absolutely. It's not a hope and a pipe dream. There's an expectation that this is the will of God, that we will see this. And for that reason, he gave these fivefold ministry gifts. And when those gifts are functioning, then the body's growing into who they're supposed to be so Jesus can be glorified and our faith can be established. Amen. That's a good place for amen right there. Which excites me when I see gifts in here rising up. I'm excited. Next week, I will be speaking at the Father's house in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I'm excited about that. But next week, Ben will be speaking here. I'm equally excited about that because Ben, I believe, operates in the office of an evangelist. You know what excites me is that that gift is going to be released in this place, and we have opportunity to partake of that. You know, I, I normally, I go on vacation in secret, but I begin to think maybe I should go on vacation more. Maybe more people will come because I have a tendency. Never mind. But as I was looking at this, I got excited because if we believe that this is true, and I'm just going to tell you, I believe the Bible's true. If you ever wondered where I stood, I believe the Bible's true. And when I was looking at this, and he starts talking about here that he, he being God the Father, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Why did he do that? Because he just thought it would be fun? No. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So he said this, I'm going to give these gifts because these gifts are going to equip you to do what I've called you to do. Till, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, a mature, a complete man is what that word means. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Come on. If, if you can't get excited about anything, you ought to be able to get excited about that. He said... Hallelujah. Anybody going with me? I just want to make sure I got one or two going with me. Joyce is going with me. Okay. Ben, all right, Jessica. I just want to make sure. He said, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. I could go to 2 Peter 1, 2. I'm not going to go there just yet. A perfect man to the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. He said, as these gifts are placed in the church and you allow them to speak into your life and you receive from them and you grow into who I've called you to be, he said, you can grow. And yes, I believe it's the body collectively, but I believe also that we can grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. That we should no longer be children. You know what this word children is? It's nepios. You know what it literally means? It means like Emmanuel. It means a baby who can't do anything for himself, who's totally dependent on others to feed, to lead, to care, to shelter, all of that. They have no ability to direct their lives. They have to be cared for by someone else. He said, when we allow these things, he said, we won't be that little baby like that little bird that just opens his mouth to everything. We won't be like that little baby that's so dependent on mom and on dad that I will die if I don't have them. Now, should we have relationship with one another? Absolutely. We should be interdependent upon first him and then others 
but not, is it codependent? Is that the one where I can't do it without somebody else? I'm codependent. I've got to have you doing it for me. That's not healthy. <clears throat> Interdependent, interdependent is healthy. Codependent, not healthy. He said here <clears throat> that you shouldn't be like a baby that's totally dependent. He said, that's not what I want, that you be no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love... Look at this word. I just put it in my Bible because it goes along with my message and my theology. <clears throat> just kidding. May, may grow up in all things into him. So my growing up is into what? The fullness of the stature of him. My growing up is into him, right? That's in context. I'm not taking that out of context. That's in context. That may grow up the possibility of growing up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. He said, as we begin to walk in this place of growing up into him, that's possible for us because Jesus made the way. He said, as we do that, it causes the whole body to grow. What are you saying? What I'm saying is this. When I'm walking in the gifting that God's placed on the inside of me, it causes growth in you. It causes strength in you because I'm doing my part, and it's supplying to the whole body, every joint supplying. And when you're doing your part, every joint is supplying. And it says this, that the body itself is edified, it's built up in love. Not in condemnation. Man, this is, the way of the world is this. I got to put somebody else down so that I can look bigger. I see it everywhere. I see it in the workplace. I see it in, I say, any organization, religious or non-religious. You see inside of those organizations those who feel that I've got to make you look small so that I can be big. I've got to push you down, put you down, hold you down so that I can shine. Now, the depths of what that looks like, the depravity gets a lot different depending on what culture you're in, but it's in all of them. And you know what it comes from? not knowing who you are. If you don't know who you are and whose you are, then you got to put other people down so that you feel better about yourself. But if you know who you are, it doesn't matter if they shine. I'm, I'm going to say this 100 transparent, 100, honesty. I hope, Ben, when he speaks next week, that we got a house full and he knocks it out of the park, that the walls blow out of this place. Holy Ghost comes and we see signs, wonders, and miracles that lives are radically changed. I told you, I don't want to miss a Sunday, not because I'm the pastor, because I know what God's doing. And I don't want to be that Sunday that I'm not here that it shows up. But if it does next Sunday, I'm, I'm excited. Because I know Ben's operating what he's anointed to do. And God is who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that excites me. <clears throat> if we get to the place that we feel like we've got to hold people down, that's a place in our life that we don't know who we are. The whole body is built up in love. Then listen, in the context of this passage in Ephesians 4, if, if you've been here any time at all, you know that uh, I've talked a lot about Ephesians in the past. I've taught on Ephesians. I've written emails about Ephesians. <laughs> I mean, emails, bless their hearts. Ephesians 1 through 3 deal with our who. Ephesians 4 through 6 deals with our do. So what does that mean? Ephesians 1 through 3 deals uh, with our identity in Christ. It lets us know about who we are in Him, those in Him realities. There's, I think in, in Him, uh, it's used, I don't want to say, I, don't wanna, I haven't seen, studied it in so long. It's used a lot in the book of Ephesians. But in Ephesians 4 through 6, it starts talking about now that you know who you are, here's what that should look like. Are you with me? So that's what it's saying. But here in verse 17, it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, 
because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So he makes a specific declaration right here. If you want to know truth, he said in John, you'll know the truth and the truth will do what? Set you free. If you want to know truth, who is truth? He said the truth is in Jesus. That's who he is. He's truth. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's some things here I want to share, and I'll, uh, I'll start winding it down. Thomas said, I will not believe. That was a bold declaration of his will. I will not believe until I see it. And as I was looking at that, Thomas making this bold declaration, I will, I refuse to believe until I see it. And then the Lord took me here to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. He said, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So he's saying that you have a choice not to walk like the rest of the Gentiles. Now, what's the Gentiles? Is that just a race? No. Gentiles, in, in uh, what he was talking about in the context of this, is those who don't believe. Are you with me? So when he was referring to Gentiles, he, w- he was referring to those who weren't believers. <clears throat> so he said, therefore I say in testifying the Lord that you should no longer. So again, there's the possibility. You should. He didn't say you can't. He said you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. How do the Gentiles walk? You know how good the Lord is? I'm just going to tell you in case you were wondering. He's this good. I studied this passage. I meditate on this passage the first of the week. Just really spent time meditating in this passage. I think it was Tuesday when I started just really looking into this, going, man. And I'm just spending time praying over it, meditating on it, reading it. And I think it was Wednesday, uh, Tuesday evening and Wednesday, the Lord allowed me to see how much I was living just like a Gentile. Yeah, I don't know nothing about that, I know. But what I'm saying is the Lord allowed me, he highlighted to me how much I was doing exactly what he said we shouldn't do. <laughs> wow. He said, the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, and as a result of that, their understanding's darkened, and they're alienated from the life of God. It doesn't say they're alienated from God. It says they're alienated from the life of God. The Zoe, the life as he has it. He said, I've come that you, might have, that you may have life and that you may have it in abundance. Here, he said, don't walk like the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Now, I didn't go into any kind of sexual sin or any kind of sin or anything like that. But what I did do is this. I allowed myself to live in the place of the futility of my mind, and I had my understanding darkened, and I was alienated from the Zoe of God, which resides on the inside of me because I was spending more time here than I was here. I was allowing what I was seeing and what I didn't understand and what I couldn't comprehend to manipulate and control my time, to control my meditation. I was meditating on things that I didn't know instead of what I do know. I was meditating on the what ifs and I don't understands instead of what the promises are. We were training at the fire department the other day and we put this maze up and we had to go we had two walls that we had to breach and then we were following this hose i had my mouth my mask blacked out where i couldn't see we had air packs on and we had our mouth mat mouse our mask blacked out we put saran wrap put you don't want to see where you're going put saran wrap on your sunglasses or you you can't see nothing it's just blurry so we put saran wrap on our mask and we're training with another department and we're we go through this maze so you go through this first wall 
with all your gear and your air pack on, then you crawl across this platform, you go through another wall, and we're following a hose like we're in a house trying to get out. And we go up the stairwell, and then I'm not a big guy, I understand that. We got some big guys on our fire department, I'm just saying. But we, one of the first staircase you come to, when you get to the top of the, when I get to the top of the staircase, my chest is pinned on the steps and my bottle's pinned on the top. That's how small it is. And, and we got guys a lot more bigger than me. But I would ha- I'd turn my bottle into the corner. I got out. So I go down through a floor, and from the bottom of the floor to the concrete floor is 24 inches. That's how big that gap is. And then we get under there, and we've got to scoot out from under that platform, then crawl up under another platform, come out of it, go up another set of steps. And then when we go through that steps, we go across trusses, and then we go into this 8-foot, 24-inch tube. <clears throat> and we had to carry a tool in our hand. I had a... I had a halligan, I think is what I had in my hand. It's this tool about this long. It's got a kind of a hook on one end and a pry on the other end. Anyway, so I'm in there, and I'm, I'm trying to, about that long. Well, it was a, not that long. Shut up, Josh. <laughs> fireman, fireman Josh. It was a halligan bar, and uh, it's a little longer than that. Anyway, <laughs> then you have to go to the bathroom or something. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Josh. I love you. A halligan bar, and... I'm in this tube, and I, the times I've done it before, I didn't have anything in my hand. So I could just take my hands, and I could work my way through the tube. There's not any, there's, it's just plastic tube. It's not anything to grab. It's not concrete, anything like that. And the guy on the other end of the tube said, Todd, use the tool in your hand. Use what you have in your hand and grab the end of the tool and pull yourself out of the tube. Because I'm trying to work myself through with the tube. So I just extend the tool, what's in my hand, and it's got a hook on in it to the end of the tube, and I grab it, and then I can pull, I'm like, I'm through the tube. But I had it there, but I wasn't using it. Because it was different from the last time I went through the tube. And someone said, hey, use what's in your hand. So I hooked it, and what was in my hand got me out. And the Lord is saying, I've put stuff in your hand. I've put stuff in your heart. Quit living from your head. Quit thinking, here's how I did it last time, so this must be how I have to do it this time. And say, Jesus, what are you saying right now? What? That's why he said, your word I've hidden in my heart. So he showed me. So Thursday morning, I had this epiphany, I had this aha, this God moment, that I'm sharing with someone else this scripture that I've been meditating on. I'm like, man, this is so amazing. He said that because of the futility of their mind, their understanding is darkened so that you can't see it from his perspective. It's darkened. And they alienate themselves from the life of God. They alienate themselves. Not that God pulls away, that God says there's something in your life that I can't come to you. It says because of their, the, where they've set their mind, they've pulled themselves away from the life of God. I'm sharing this with this individual, and it's a light bulb. The Lord said, that's what you were doing. I was like, snap. I was. Oh, snap. That's exactly what I was doing. I was looking at my ability to produce results. I was looking at my, even my giftedness and my talent and stuff like, instead of looking at the giver of the gift and the promises that he's given. And I allowed my focus to get all the way off. And he said, Todd. No one else can do this, but you have alienated yourself from my life. Not from my love. Don't get in a ditch. He said, you alienated yourself from my life, the power for my life to be released in you and through you because of the futility of your mind and the darkness of your understanding. That sounds a little bit like Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you might what? Prove or put on display what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God.